The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. That prophecy of Ezekiel has become reality in our generation. The story of Israel is part of the ministry of the Jerusalem Channel. On this historic 70th anniversary of the rebirth of Israel, please consider making a special gift to continue our media ministry through our website, the Jerusalem Channel app, or by mail. To keep fit and healthy, I've got a little device on my wrist that reminds me to walk 10,000 steps a day, which is about five miles or eight kilometers a day. Well, there's really no such thing as a one-size-fits-all prescription for good health, but they say that 10,000 steps a day is a smart idea. I'm enjoying wearing this gadget, a gift from my husband, because it gives me a whole new attitude on walking that extra mile with purpose and without complaining. Now I can enjoy taking extra steps because I know I'll be rewarded at the end of the day with an encouraging score. And that puts walking in a whole new light. But also the Bible talks about our spiritual walk with God and how our footsteps are ordered to the Lord and it says He delights in our way. So are you talking the talk or walking the walk? Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. The suggestion of walking 10,000 steps a day is due to research revealing that such a regimen lowers blood pressure and promotes better cardiovascular fitness. One study also determined that getting close to 10,000 steps a day helps lower blood glucose levels and cuts the risk of developing diabetes. Experts also say that 10,000 steps a day can help us not to gain weight. The Japanese were the first to champion fitness trackers and experts also say that 10,000 steps a day is unrealistic for some seniors. I must admit, when I'm in Western nations with all of its transportation, I only manage on an average of about half the 10,000 steps. There just doesn't seem to be enough hours in the day to reach my goal. But when I'm in airports with its long corridors, I can rack up about 8,000 steps a day and in Jerusalem, I can hit the target because of the hills. And I enjoy walking about Zion as Psalm 48 commands us. Also, according to Psalm 37, 23, the footsteps of a righteous person are ordered of the Lord, and he delights in their way. In light, we're not meant to walk alone. We need companions along the way. 
and the friend who sticks closer than a brother is the Lord. In fact, the greatest of all fellowship is with God, and it's a holy practice, a holy exercise to walk daily in tandem with God. Now, I've been doing a study in the Hebrew Scriptures in Genesis 5.24, where there was a man named Enoch who walked habitually with God, and their fellowship was so sweet that Enoch was taken alive to heaven. The verse says Enoch walked with God, and he was not. He disappeared without dying because God took him, snatched him away. This is translated in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, that Enoch pleased God, and that's where the testimony comes from that's quoted in the New Testament in Hebrews 11.5 in the Hall of Fame, that it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. Well, the testimony of Enoch is one of a life spent in the immediate presence of God, in constant communion with God. But I want you to know he wasn't a solitary figure who lived like a monk. He was a husband and a father, yet he managed to walk with God. So Enoch wasn't a recluse or a celibate, yet he was one of two men documented in the Bible who have had the honor and the distinction of being translated out of this world without having to experience the indignity of death or decay. Enoch was wise. He wasn't like a sheep that wanders far from his shepherd, but he stayed close to the Lord. Now, some biographies supplied to us in the Bible are very succinct. We don't know very much about Enoch, except that he was the seventh of ten pre-flood patriarchs, and he was considered to be the author of the Book of Enoch, an ancient Jewish work that once was held in wide circulation. Also, three extensive apocryphal works are attributed to him. In classical rabbinical literature, among the minor midrashim, esoteric attributes of Enoch are mentioned. For example, it's recorded in the Mishnah, the views of Rabbi Ishmael ben Elisha, a rabbinic sage alleged to have been a young boy during the destruction of the Second Temple in Jerusalem. He visited, or he described a visit to the seventh heaven where he met Enoch. Enoch is also mentioned in The Wisdom of Sirach, a book that's accepted as part of the biblical canons in the Eastern churches. Well, Enoch was the great-grandfather of Noah, and one of the few notable men in the Bible of whom nothing negative is recorded. He was, in the full sense of the word, the first saint. Abraham is described as the father of the faithful, yet the Bible mentions his foibles and failings. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, but he got drunk. Moses, the man of God, was a murderer. And David, the man after God's own heart, committed adultery. But Enoch, wow, 
The little epistle of Jude in the New Testament supplies us with some more information about his life, that he was a flaming preacher of righteousness. Because in verses 14 and 15 of the little one chapter epistle of Jude, Jude quotes from the book of Enoch. Jude wrote, Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, Behold, the Lord is coming with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all of their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Well, Enoch used the word ungodly four times in that sentence. That's because he walked so closely with God that he had a real aversion to ungodliness. The Bible also gives Enoch's age. He lived 365 years, a perfect year of years, one year for each day in a year. Well, there are few walkers with God, yet his life was cut relatively short. Although Enoch lived 365 years, it was not half the usual age of the men of his day who lived before the flood. We're told that Enoch began to walk with God after the birth of Methuselah, the oldest man who ever lived. Enoch had some sort of epiphany after the birth of his son Methuselah. Genesis 5.22 tells us that after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God for 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. And then God took him away. One day as they were walking together, God must have said something like this to Enoch. We're nearer my home than yours, so just come on home with me. And so God took him. Enoch was translated body and soul to heaven without seeing death. Does that capture your imagination? It certainly does mine. Is Enoch somebody that we'd like to emulate? Because both Enoch and the prophet Elijah in the Hebrew scriptures were both taken alive to heaven. And they're seen as prototypes of the translation of the saints that the apostle Paul refers to in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 17. And in those verses, Paul wrote, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then after that, we who are still alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll always be with the Lord. This translation of the saints is a New Testament doctrine foreshadowed in the Hebrew scriptures. It's popularly known as the rapture, a word derived from the Latin translation of the Bible. And after his triumphant resurrection and walking around on earth for 40 days, Jesus also ascended. He was translated to heaven. Jesus ascended on a cloud of glory right before the eyes of his disciples. So now these three memorable instances of translation to heaven, Enoch, Elijah, and Jesus, 
There are types and shadows of the rapture of the dead and living saints that will happen according to the verses that I mentioned from 1 Thessalonians 4. But also from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul talks about it in verses 51 to 54. He said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For he said, The trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. Paul said, For the perishable must clothe themselves with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And he said, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with our immortal bodies, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. Well, the commentaries teach that we should always take note of the hand of God whenever prominent men and women are removed from this earth, especially when God takes away a good man. The removal of a godly man or woman from the world scene is something to be observed. It is never by accident. And what may seem to us as a premature removal, sudden death, when God appoints it, it's no loss to the righteous. Because when a good person dies, I often think of a verse in Isaiah 57, which declares that the righteous are taken away and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from the evil to come. Those who walk uprightly enter into their peace. One of the interesting aspects of the translations of both Enoch and Elijah is that the Bible records that their bodies were searched for, but they were never found. Search parties looked in vain for the prophet Elijah. Hebrews 11.5 says Enoch was missing. He disappeared. He couldn't be found because God had taken him away. Well, did you know that soon masses of believers will disappear? According to the verses that I've just quoted in this program, First Thessalonians 4.17 and 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51. Why? Well, nobody will be able to find them because God, not a UFO, God himself will have taken us away before the evil to come. Jesus said in Luke 21, 36, be always on the watch and pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all that is about to happen and that you will be able to stand before the Son of Man. You may wonder, can the natural laws of death be suspended? Well, the bottom line is that we've seen that God can do anything. A man of God closer in time to our day, whose body was never found at death, was Sundar Singh. He lived in the 19th and early 20th centuries, and Many of his followers wondered about his mysterious death. The memory of this Indian saint, Sundar Singh, is treasured. He was a formative figure in the Church of India. He was, in fact, one of the most influential native missionaries and perhaps the most famous Indian Christian to date. 
Sundar Singh had a bevy of biographers and who can sort fact from fiction because like St. Francis of Assisi, he was said to have had powers over the animal kingdom and miraculous visions and so forth. Sundar Singh was ordained in Lahore as an Anglican priest and he was told by his superiors to discard his saffron robe and wear European clerical dress. He was instructed to use formal Anglican worship, sing English hymns, and not to preach outside his parish without permission. But to him, not to visit Tibet seemed an unthinkable interference with the call of God. So Sundar Singh realized that India wouldn't readily convert to Western-style Christianity. So he continued to wear the yellow robe of a Hindu holy man. People responded positively to the gospel when he wore Indian attire. You see, he wore the robe to show that Christianity wasn't just the religion of the colonial British. Christianity is not a white man's religion. Jesus belongs to the entire world. Sundar Singh walked with God into Kashmir and then back through Muslim Afghanistan and to the brigand-invested northwest frontier in Baluchistan. The Christian communities of North India referred to him as the apostle with the bleeding feet. He suffered arrest and stoning for his beliefs. And when he visited Western nations, he was appalled by the materialism and the irreligion that he found everywhere, contrasting it with Asia's awareness of God. Sundar Singh is believed to have died in the foothills of the Himalayas in 1929, where he disappeared in the Simla Hills. Against all advice, Singh was determined to make one last journey to Tibet, and he was last seen setting off in April of 1929 when he reached a small town and was preaching to pilgrims on a trek to one of Hinduism's holy places. Where he went after that is unknown. Whether he died of exhaustion remains a mystery, but his body was never found. Some of his followers claimed that Sundar Singh was raptured as were Enoch and Elijah, but of course there can be no proof. One of the commentators that I studied this week observed that it was wonderful wisdom on the part of God to translate Enoch and Elijah under the Old Testament dispensation. When it should be asserted that the Lord Jesus was carried into heaven, it might not seem a thing altogether incredible to the Jewish people, since after all they themselves confessed that two of their prophets had been translated several hundred years before. Some of the church fathers, such as St. John of Damascus, considered Enoch and Elijah to be the coming two witnesses described in the book of Revelation. This is because these two spiritual giants were removed from earth without death. That means that they exist in heaven, but they could be sent back to earth again. Some say that Moses will be one of the two witnesses because of the mysterious way in which he was buried. But whoever the two witnesses are, this we know from Revelation chapter 11 in the New Testament. 
that in the future they will die in the streets of Jerusalem, the two witnesses, but then they'll be resurrected in front of the eyes of the world. This information is supplied in Revelation 11, which says that the two witnesses will be especially endowed with supernatural powers. And if anyone tries to harm them, fire will flash from their mouths to devour their enemies. They'll have power to shut up the heavens so that it cannot rain during the time that they're prophesying. And they'll have power to turn water into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they call for the plagues. And only when they have finished their testimony to Israel and to the world will they be satanically attacked and killed. Verse 8 of Revelation 11 says that their bodies will lie in a public square of the great city figuratively called Sodom in Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified, meaning this city of Jerusalem. And worldwide television was foreseen in this next verse, verse 9 of Revelation 11, because it says for three and a half days, people from every tribe, language, and nation will gaze on the dead bodies of the two witnesses and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over their deaths and they will celebrate the death of these truth tellers by sending each other gifts. It'll be sort of a satanic Christmas celebration because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But that's not the end of the two witnesses. Revelation 11 goes on to say that after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God will enter them and they'll stand up on their feet and they'll strike terror in the hearts of all who are watching. Then they'll hear a loud voice from heaven saying to the two witnesses, come up here. And while their enemies watch, they'll be raptured. They'll ascend up to heaven in a cloud. It'll be another rapture in the various orders of raptures mentioned in the Bible. Well, whether or not Enoch will be one of the two witnesses in the future, what does Enoch's walking with God teach us today? I want to summarize what the commentaries teach. And the first thing is that Enoch chose to seek and pursue God's friendship. We all have that choice. The idiom of walking with God shows action, purpose, and progress, quite the opposite of sinners who run from God. A person who walks with God has to be of the same mind and heart as God because of the principle that we find in Amos 3.3, which says that two cannot walk together unless they are in mutual agreement. Now, a second thing that he teaches us, to walk with God implies common interests. So if you walk with God, you'll know his heart. You'll know his mind about the issues of the day. You'll just know that abortion is wrong. You'll know his mind concerning marriage and Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. You'll know that God is not finished with Israel, that he has determined to restore Israel and to save Israel in these last days. A third point is that 
Enoch looked upon himself as a pilgrim and as a stranger in this present world. Billy Graham once said, heaven is my home. I'm just traveling through this world. So Enoch was a pilgrim and I like the word pilgrim. It's become old fashioned in this jet setting age, but it means a person who goes on a journey, especially a long distance to some sacred place as an act of devotion. And by the way, pilgrims to the Holy Land are blessed by walking this land. We're given insights in the Bible that don't come any other way. And so we encourage you to come with us on one of our conference tours. Number four, Enoch teaches us some persons are remembered because of their longevity or their bravery or their ancestral lineage or even their notoriety. But Enoch is remembered because he walked with God. Enoch lived only half the years of the life of his father, Jared. He had an early death in pre-flood times. But we know, as Paul said, to depart and to be with Messiah is far better than anything we have here. Many tragically walk away from God. They prefer the company and the admiration of men. But to Enoch, God was a friend to whom he confided. A fifth point we learned from Enoch's walk with God was that it's a safe walk, just as a child walks at night, holding his father's hand and so is not afraid of the dark. During a plague of diphtheria, children were afraid of catching the dreaded disease. So a teacher said to her pupils, the only thing I know to do is to hide. Listen while I read to you about a hiding place, she said. And then the teacher read Psalm 91. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then the psalm goes on to speak of the safety that's available under the wing of God. At recess, a child said to the teacher, I know now why you're not frightened of the diphtheria. You're hidden under God's shadow and his wings. What a nice, safe place to hide in. Well, number six, if you walk with God, you'll keep company with God's inner circle of believers who also walk with the Lord. And your companions in life and your associates will be the best and most loyal comrades that you'll ever know. Number seven, Enoch teaches us to aspire that walking with God is a faith walk, but it's a worthy lifestyle which brings not only eternal rewards, but comfort in this lifetime. Number eight, Enoch's rapture teaches us that translation is the way that God has occasionally dealt with his servants and that it can and will happen again, that death is not always final. Enoch taught the world by his preaching that the Lord is coming and he will gather up the saints and judge the ungodly. So now, in wrapping up today, permit me to ask, are you walking with God or are you running away from God? I want to assure you that it is possible to walk with the Lord. He invites us to do that. Noah walked with God. To Abraham also, it was commanded by God, walk before me. In other words, walk in my presence. 
And Abraham described himself as doing just that when he said to his servant, The Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. Elijah also walked with God and was translated. And in the little epistle of James in the New Testament, James reminds us that Elijah was a human being just like you and me. So the point is, we don't have to put a great man or a woman of God on a spiritual pedestal because you and I can also obtain like precious faith. Jesus promised all of his followers that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And this is possible because he sends his Holy Spirit to dwell with us and in us, guiding us when we give our lives to the Lord. Well, that's all the time we have for this broadcast, but I hope you'll continue walking with the Lord and that you'll feel free to stay in contact with me through the social media or at our website at exploits.tv where you can sign up for our Jerusalem Club and you can receive our weekly updates in Color Exploits magazines. And don't forget to download our Jerusalem Channel app. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and reminding you to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Maranatha, I'm Christine Dard. Shalom. <music>